Uh, we're in a series of messages called The Storyteller. Jesus was a storyteller. I told you last week, if you grew up in my house, that's, if you said story, that wasn't a good word because that's what we use for the word lie. You told a story. And, uh, but Jesus was a storyteller. He made up stories to make a point, and they're called parables. They're made-up stories. They're fictional stories to make a point about something that he was trying to teach. So every time you read a parable, you are not reading a true story. You're reading something Jesus chose to make up to illustrate something, to try to teach something. And Jesus, Jesus himself was a, uh, a master teacher. And last week we spoke of one parable, and this week we're going to speak on two parables, and we're going to continue all the way through the end of July going through the parables of, uh, of Jesus, okay? If you have your Bible with you, would you open it to Matthew chapter 13? I'm going to read it now in the New International Version, which is um, a little more contemporary type of English for us. One of the reasons we're glad that it's not only the old King James anymore because the King James is written at a 12th grade level and most of your newspapers are written at a 7th grade level and most people on this, on this whole earth read at an 8th grade level. And so one of the great things about having new contemporary translations of the Bible is they make it easier to read for the everyday Joe. And that is um, the point of the whole thing. And so in the New International Version in Matthew chapter 13, you have what is called the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of um, the pearl of great price, or it comes with different names. Both of these parables have the same meaning, and Jesus told one right after the other to further underscore his point. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. That's easy to understand, okay? I'm wandering around in a field. I somehow stumble upon some, something that I think is a hidden treasure. I dig down. I find the hidden treasure. Wow, there's a lot of something in here. I close it back up, bear it again. I want to go find who owns this field, I want to buy it for him because it's worth a whole lot more money than just what the field is worth, okay? You can get that, no problem. Again, now that, so he's just further underscoring this, and he's saying the same thing to make the same point again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. I've been trying to live up to those two parables most of my Christian life. And I failed miserably. Because I always wanted to be uh, the, that person that just was all out for the kingdom. I sold every single thing, went and bought the treasure and, sold all, and, and paid a great price for the big pearl. And, and as I was growing up and as I started early in my ministry, I was taught that the hidden treasure and the pearl was... the was uh, Jesus himself and his love for us and salvation and, and eventually going to heaven. And, and so I wanted to be that person that gave up everything for the kingdom, just like the merchant did and paid the great price for the, the pearl. And the guy did that went and paid the big money for the field. But I failed miserably about, at that because no matter how much I tried to do that, I always was realizing I wasn't giving up too much I haven't given up too much to be a Christian I don't know basically I don't know anybody that has to be quite honest with you you haven't given up much all of y'all live in nice homes and 
you have extra food in your house? A lot of you have second cars, third cars. Most of you have money in the bank. I don't know too many people that have given. But I wanted to be like, because I wanted to be all out for Jesus, you know. And so I just kept trying to give everything up and, and just go head over heels for Jesus. And I, as I continue to do that, I realized I haven't given that up. I haven't given that up. My life's pretty easy, you know. Then I thought of being, you know, if you were like a missionary. If you were somebody like Jim and, and Kathy Ratcliffe. And, and Jim gave up a, a lucrative uh, uh, career as a surgeon and, and went and over to Papua New Guinea to work for, I don't know, I don't know what he gets paid, maybe $30,000 a year. He'd be making over half a million a year if he was a surgeon in the United States. And, and, and maybe, it's, maybe, it's, maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe that's what you need to do. And, and so I went to Papua New Guinea. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty nice place over there, you know. I could live over there, I think. It was some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen in my life. And I was sitting on the back of that house that we were renovating for Jim and Kathy, and I said, I think I, think I could see myself over here. It was gorgeous. It's some of the prettiest scenery I've ever seen in my life. And so on one hand, I know Jim and Kathy have given some things up and, and given some things up more than we have in many times, but, you know, they got a pretty good gig over there. You know what? They would tell you that. And they would tell you that, that what they have received from Jesus because they're missionaries in Papua New Guinea are far more than what they've given up. In fact, I know that about me and my Christian life. And I bet some of you know that. What I have received as a Christian far outweighs is what I've given up. <laughs> it's not even close. But this text says, I'm supposed to find this pearl that everybody when I grew up told me was the kingdom of heaven, it was Jesus, it was salvation, it was a relationship with God. And when I find that, I go and I sell everything I have to buy it because it's worth so much. But as I got a little bit older and a little more theologically astute, I realized that's not real good theology. Because the Bible doesn't teach that you buy your way into the kingdom or earn your way into the kingdom. The Bible doesn't say you have to give up everything to become a Christian, does it? Am I, am I only one that doesn't read it that way? The Bible says that, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So you're out here and you're a drunk. We don't tell people to stop drinking and come to Jesus. What do we say? You come just as you are, don't we? One of the most famous hymns of all time is Just As I Am. You got a drug, you're on heroin today, you come to Jesus. Well, I got to get my life clean. How many people have I heard say that? I got to get my life, I got to get some things right. How many people, Harold, have we heard say things? I got to get some things right in my first bull. You come to Jesus and let him get things right in your life. So if this, if this pearl of great price and if this hidden treasure is, is, is salvation or, or God's love that we should sell everything for, that's bad theology because the whole Bible, frontwards and back, they tell me that it's by grace that we're saved and it's not of works. And the reason the Bible says it's not of works is so no man will boast. Because if we could buy our way, like buying this pearl or buying this treasure, if we could buy, I would brag because I paid more than you. And some of you would brag because you paid more than me. 
And, and, and after all, the, Isaiah says that our, our righteousness is of filthy rags. The good things that we do to try to please God or earn our way into his kingdom are like filthy rags. And I've told you before, literally in the Hebrew, filthy rags are menstrual rags, literally. It's the rags of a woman's monthly uncleanness. That's what Isaiah the prophet said. If you try to earn your way into the kingdom, your works are filthy rags. And yet I'm supposed to buy my way. I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed to give it all up. I'm supposed to... I don't see that theologically in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so whosoever should give it all up, will inherit eternal life. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and sell everything and give everything up, then you will be saved. Is that what Romans 10, 9 says? <laughs> you ready for this? Because I know the way you've heard it preached and the way I heard it preached. Give it up for Jesus. And you know what? That's really good. And that's admirable. And there's nothing wrong with giving it all up for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's not what this parable means. And it's took me years to be able to figure it out. You know what the treasure is? You know what the pearl is? You're the pearl. You're the treasure. Because there's only one person that gave it all up. There's only one person. There's only one person that literally could say that he sold everything he had. He even gave his life. You can't say that. I can't say that. No human being that's ever been born can say that. Can I tell you something that makes you uncomfortable this morning? You're the pearl. You're the pearl that the merchant Jesus paid a great price for. You're the treasure that the man found in the field and he would give anything to have it, even his own life. Now you apply that interpretation to this parable and it matches up with all the rest of the scriptures. If I apply that other interpretation of scripture that I got to give it all up and, and, and I got to do this and I got to do that, that turns the scriptures upside down, man. You got, you got doctrine and theology that is clashing with each other. I'm here to tell you something that make you uncomfortable because you don't feel very pearly, do you? You don't feel very treasurely, do you? Because you know yourself. But I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word, you were bought with a price. And the highest price that has ever been paid. Now you go find some pearl of great price and that pearl today may be worth millions and millions of dollars. I don't care what the highest price pearl that you could ever find. Can I tell you, you were bought with a higher price than that. 
There is no higher price that could ever be bought than was bought for you, paid for you. Hear me now. Think about it. Chew on it. You're the pearl. It's the only thing that makes sense. You're the treasure. He's a good, good father. That's why, that's why that song resonates. You know what the verse says? I'm loved by him. That's who I am. That's why you raise your hands when you sing that song. That's why that song did, does something to us. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? And we have to sing that song before I can sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Or I can sit, I guess I can sit and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, what a great Christian I am. I've given it all up for him. You can only sing, Oh, how I love Jesus after you've sung, Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Because our love for him is simply a response to his love for us. He's the initiator. He started it. And any giving up anything for him is simply because he gave it all up for us. I'm telling you, friends, as uncomfortable as it makes you feel, and after all, it's not about your feelings. You don't live by your feelings. You live by the truth. And the truth is that you are created in the image of God. And he calls you his beloved. And he paid a huge price for you. The biggest price. You are a pearl. You are a treasure whether you feel like you are or not. Now, we like to be humble because Christians should be humble. And so we don't like to say that kind of things. And I don't invite you to go out and say that kind of stuff all the time because people think you're nuts. But it's true. And I don't think you can truly return love to God like God wants you to return love to him unless you know that you're a pearl that's been bought with a great price. And you're a hidden treasure that he sold everything to go get. I've told you this before. Maxie Dunham was my seminary president. He says, you got to believe the truth about yourself no matter how good it is. Because we just, we, we've been taught, and there's some kind of preachers, and, and you know, they were right. They weren't wrong. They just, it just wasn't the whole truth. And it, because it sounds so humble just to say, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And I am. I know that I am. And you are too if you're a Christian here today. But there's more to it than that. Just like the bumper sticker that says, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. There's more to it than that. Scripture backs me up on all this, friends. 
Let me be a little bit of a lawyer this morning and make my case for a different interpretation of this than some of you have ever heard. But I stand here today at 58 years old convinced that this is right. You're the pearl. You're the treasure. We start off in 1 Corinthians. And, we, and, and, and the Bible says, Paul speaking here, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. One chapter later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says this, you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. We get the same type of thing going through in Matthew's gospel. You know this verse. The Son of Man, Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Now, what's a ransom? It's money that you pay to release somebody. Some of you remember that old country song, don't you? Guy stays out all night on his wife, and he calls her the next morning and says, don't pay the ransom, honey, I've escaped. Some of you not got that yet. You'll get it later on this afternoon. <laughs> ransom is money. You've been bought with a price. We can continue to go with more scriptures. And John sees a view and a glimpse of heaven in the book of the Revelation. It's John's heaven was revealed to John and he sees worship going on in heaven and he, and he writes this down and said and they sang a new song saying you are worthy singing this to Jesus you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations that's going on in heaven right now you are worthy because you have purchased with your blood people from every nation. There's a few, I mean, I could, I, we could just go scripture after scripture if you wanted. I've got to stop in a, in a little bit. There's two more here I want to show you, though. First Peter, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors what was does redeemed mean some of us used to redeem top value stamps did anybody here rede redeem top value stamps green stamps now you kids you don't know what I'm talking about I know you don't <laughs> but they used to give you stuff to go buy gas they used to give you stuff can you imagine that and so you collected all these stamps and you saved up all these stamps. I don't know how many. You saved up 1,000 stamps, 5,000 stamps, and you went to the Redemption Center and you bought stuff with the stamps. You, it was called you were redeeming the stamps. You've been bought. You've been redeemed. There has been a ransom paid for you because you are a pearl. You are a treasure. Karen, 12.2 of Hebrews, you know this verse, fixing our eyes on Jesus, author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you ever think about what was the joy set before him? Did you ever think about that? For the joy 
set before him, he endured the cross. Well, add two and two together. Why did he go to the cross? Well, he went to the cross for you and for me. So dare I say it? I'm the joy. It's hard for some of you. Because you've heard more messages about God's wrath and his judgment than you've heard about his love. And I'm sorry about that. You were brought up with fire and brimstone. You know what fire and brimstone? I, I think fire and brimstone gets you to heaven. But it leaves you an immature Christian. I think it can get you in heaven. And, you know, a lot of people get saved because they don't want to go to hell. And, and that's okay. And, that's, and I guess that gets you to heaven. But you'll never have a mature relationship with Jesus Christ. As all it's about is getting out of hell. Never. Never. You'll never know he's a good, good father. You'll never respond with love. You got to believe the truth about yourself, no matter how good it is. You see, love responds to love. Love enables love and when you know how much Jesus loved you and the price he paid for you that spawns love back to him that's the prescription friends how do you try to get your kids to love you are you hard on them do you discipline them do you give them curf hard curfews and all kinds of punishments and you do that as part of a parent but how do you get your kids to love you and come up and say I love you mommy you want love to respond to love, don't you? And that's what happens. And some of you don't have a love relationship with your parents because they never showed that to you. You just got from them, be there, do this, on time, you're late, eat your food, clean your table. And you don't respond to love that to that kind of stuff. You don't respond in love. If you want to interpret this parable as, as, as we go, we've got to be totally committed and totally sold out and sell everything and all of that kind of stuff to be a Christian, I, you can hold on to that, but hold on to this first part first, that, that, that you're the pearl and only when you know what has been bought for you, what has been paid for you, can you then respond with commitment. And that's the whole Bible. It's grace before works. God is the initiator. God takes the first step. That is the most basic theological statement of the Bible is God reaches first. Yes, he expects you to reach back. Yes, he expects you to reach back, but only to take his extended hand. Somewhere Paul says, if, if, if anybody, if an angel of light comes and preaches you a different gospel than this, don't you believe him? And that's what I want to tell you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. He reaches to you and asks you to take his extended hand. He loves you and asks you to respond back in love. That's what this parable is about.
First John, John in First John doesn't really talk about this parable, but he talks about the same thing in another way. Well, we have in First John 7. Dear friends, John says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay? Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. Good news. Good news. But he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for, for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to also then respond to that love. And one of the best ways we can show our love to God is to love. Look at that. Love enables love. You want to be sold out for Jesus? Just get some little clue of how much he's head over heels in love with you. You people that want to buy it, you people that want to be really sold out, at least do that initially, you people think that this parable should be interpreted of of, we go sell everything we have and then we can get Jesus. You don't have any money. The Bible says you're dead in your transgressions and your sin. You don't have any money. And whatever money you do have is filthy rags. Isaiah 55, I like the way Isaiah 55 says it. In Isaiah 55, prophet Isaiah talking about the love and the grace of God, says, come all you're thirsty. Come to the waters. And you have no money. You out there that have no money, come. Come. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and, and buy milk, you that have no money. You're broke. You don't have any money. Come. This is the grace of God. Come. This is our inviting God. Come. Come all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why spend money on what is not bread? (laughs) And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair that you can't buy. (laughs) You don't have any money. You can't buy it. I'm trying to tell you today something that makes some of you uncomfortable. I know it does. Because you don't feel very pearly. And I don't either. Because I know me. I know me a whole lot better than that board knows me. They gave me good grades on that, on that pastor thing. <laughs> but the deep, listen, the deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. 
That's the deepest awareness of myself. It's not that I'm a pastor or, or, or that I'm a husband or that I'm a father or even, or even that I'm a Christian. I, my deepest awareness of Mark Atherton, who I am, is that I'm a person that Jesus deeply loves and I haven't done a thing to earn it or deserve it. Now, friends, when you get that stored way down in your gut somewhere, you'll change. And you'll love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love enables love. Uh, how many of you remember the movie Fireproof? Remember the movie Fireproof? Remember the book, The Love Dare? Remember that? The, the movie Fireproof was about this guy that messed up in his marriage and pornography or whatever it was, I don't remember. And his wife just flew off the handle and she wanted a divorce. So somebody convinced him to do the love dare, which is a 40-day deal, a 40-day devotional that you show love to your spouse every single day without expecting anything in return. And the premise of all that is that love responds to love. That that wife, in the case of the movie, that wife that was, couldn't forgive him for whatever he did, had fell out of love with him, she'll be overcome by the power of love because love enables love. And love responds to love. It's the love dare. I dare you to love your wife for 40 days. I dare you to love your husband for 40 days. It doesn't make any difference what your wife or your husband does in return. That's the love dare. This video is a little longer than I like to show. But I think it'll make a good point. Karen? We weren't always motivated by love. So basically we got married really young and it was like this whirlwind of a romance. So for the next six years of our lives, it was having to come before God every single day and being obedient because the last thing we wanted to do was be married. Communication was really hard at times. I think that it just almost felt like we were speaking a different language. With communication, it was sometimes we didn't talk to each other for days. Sometimes it was screaming and yelling and you're the awkward couple walking out of the apartment that has just had the fight and the whole entire apartment complex is coming out to see like, who is the crazy couple? It was us. It was a day, day by day type of process for us trying to figure out how to keep this marriage intact and keep it together. We decided to take the love dare. We started with the free test online. There were a bunch of great questions on lovedaretest.com that showed us areas of the book that we should focus on. Basically, the Love Dare is a set of devotions and daily challenges. Over the course of 40 days, you are dared to show simple acts of kindness and love towards your spouse. And all the while, you're encouraged to write down these experiences along the way. Before we started this thing, uh, yeah, you could say our hearts were hardened and separated. Fear, pride, temptation, yeah, they got in the way of love. Day one, right off the bat, it was not easy. Love is patient. <laughs> the dare was to say nothing negative all day, at all, the whole day. I mean, it only took one day for us to realize how much we needed these dares. Uh, the first day, I 
came to realize how the things that I spew out of my mouth can really affect the other person. What we really learned is that patience is more than just holding your tongue. It's taking a deep breath in, gaining new perspective, and then giving the condition of my heart over to God. And that was just day one. <laughs> uh, day 13 was Love Fights Fair. The dare was to talk about healthy rules of engagement. We may or may not have <laughs> fought over that dare. <laughs> but it was good in the end. We actually began the process of learning how to disagree in a healthy way. Day 18, love seeks to understand. Day 22, love is faithful. Day 30, love brings unity. Day 20, love is Jesus Christ. And day 40, love is a covenant. We were talking more intentionally, we were reading the word together more intentionally, we were giving to each other more intentionally and loving more intentionally. At first it was... <laughs> Challenging. <laughs> but soon I found myself falling more in love with her than ever. And in the end, I felt like we really began to learn what real love is all about. And we were really excited to find out that they had a Love Dare book for parents too. We're in the middle of these dares as parents right now, and just like the Love Dare book helped us grow together, the Love Dare for Parents is really bringing about change for our whole family. These books, along with the free online tests that come with them, are so much more than books. They're really a journey. None of you have any kids that are hard to love, do you? Sure, that would never, ever be. Chapter, chapter 40 was love is a covenant. I married two people in our church yesterday. Andrew Johnson and Sarah Rose got married here. And as I was saying a few words to them during the ceremony, one reason I like to do weddings is because um, I'm not only preaching to the two in front of me, I'm preaching to every other married couple out there. Couples that are ready to get divorced. And I get to share with those couples as well. That's exciting. And I told them that, um, that marriage is a covenant. That's a word we don't use very often. It's a promise. It's not a contract. A contract is, I will do this if you do that. That's a contract. If you do this, I will do that. That's a contract. That's not what a marriage is about. Marriage is a promise that I'm going to do this whether you do it or not. But how many of our marriages are contracts? If I do this, then you'll do this. If you'll do that, then I'll do this. You don't got any kind of language like that in the marriage vows. It's promises that I make to you. And why do you invite people to your wedding? So they give you a gift? Probably. But they're called witnesses, aren't they? And what are they witnessing? They're witnessing the promises that you're making to God and to each other. And why do you want witnesses for that? To keep you accountable. Wow. Wouldn't that be cool if people that witnessed our promises that we made to each other actually love people enough to keep them accountable to those? Uh, I guess that's fantasy land.
The love dare is love enables love. And that's what we're talking about with the pearl of great price. You are deeply loved. You are the pearl. And any love you respond is a, any love you respond is a love that you're responding to. Because one has initiated that. One has reached his hand out to you. You will not have a mature relationship with Jesus Christ unless you get how much he loves you. And that's why we sing these songs. Heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. Oh, how he loves you and me. He's a good, good father. And I'm loved by him. That's who I am. That's who I am. Our servers are coming to the table, and every single Sunday we, we have an exhibition of the price that Jesus paid, the ransom that he paid to redeem you, to buy you back, you pearl you, you, you treasure you. Can I share one more scripture with you as we go to the table? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I like this, for Christ love compels us <laughs> you just, just read that for Christ love compels us doesn't, doesn't say for the anger of God and the wrath of God compels us is there anger or wrath of God you better believe there is but that's not what compels us it's the love of Christ that compels us for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. And this exhibition of love is so, is so that we should no longer live to ourselves but for him. Christ's love compels us. Jesus How can this be? How can you be this good? How can you be this gracious? How can you be this merciful? How can you be this loving? Help us believe the gospel this morning. And may we respond because you've reached out to us. May we respond because you bought us with a great, great price. Love so amazing, so divine, demands our heart, my life, my all. Love so amazing, Father, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. Bring that truth home to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.